Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. At this time, I've done about 20 interviews for the 100 Masked Men series, where we uncover perspectives of different men all around the world on dating, sex, gender roles, and the meaning of masculinity, fear, and self-worth. And as an ex-journalist and a Scorpio, I'm the queen of finding people on the internet. And I came across Lika Riddy, an Australian actually living in Canada, who is also doing a case study interviewing 100 men on masculinity. What are the chances? I had to pick his brain. Now, Luca is a coach himself as well, but he's way more dialed into the spiritual side of things, like inner child work, and I learn a bit more about his experience as we chat about all my favorite topics, from judgment, fear, anger, and of course, shame, specifically shame around our own sexuality. It's interesting because I originally created this podcast for women, specifically myself, to hate men a little less and find some common ground. But in this journey, I found an abundance of resources for men but I gotta say, it actually wasn't very easy to find. So you're welcome. Sit back and enjoy one of the few unmasked men featured on the Miss Amanda Chen show. Let's get into it. Do you do human design by any chance? Do you know human design? No, I don't. Okay, human design is really cool. It's like this uh, personality chart, which is was channeled back in the 1980s, which uses uh, the Vedic system, the chakra system, the astrology system, and the Chinese I Ching, uh, the, the oldest oracle in the world. Anyway, they've basically put people into certain types and they categorize people on their like, life's karma or this blah, blah, blah. If anyone's listening right now, go check it out. The Human Design. You can get your own. You can get your free chart as long as you know your birth time and location. Um, and anyway, my type is like a manifester, so we go out and inform the world. That's our main type is to inform. It's like about eight percent in the world of manifestors. They used to be like the kings and queens. They didn't really need to have permission. They just went after it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so when I found out this about myself, I was like, wow, it makes so much sense of who I am, you know, as you do when you like go into that sort of astrology readings and, and personality tests. And uh, so what happened was knowing myself as a manifester and looking at all my all the things that I've created in my life, I tend to just get spurts of inspiration and channeled creativity and I just birth things. And the Woke Man series was birth. Literally, I was living in Bali for the last 12 months. I've just moved to Canada. I was living in Bali for 12 months and I'm riding back from the gym one morning, beautiful sunny day on my scooter and I just get this like popping idea comes straight through my thoughts and, uh, and it was in my mind. It was like Woke Man series, case study, interview 100 men. And I literally like went back. Instead of going home, I went to a cafe and started writing down all these ideas. I had a coffee and wrote all these ideas down. And when I thought of it, it was like the reason why I did it was because I'm different from who I used to be. And this path that I'm on now, is a, I've met a lot of people who are on it. And not all of them are uh, come from the same direction. So they're all very, very different. And what I wanted to do was the guys that are yet to change or are open to changing or are back, you know, with that they've sort of gone through some sort of crisis and looking for more answers, I wanted to give them almost like a push of encouragement to go a little bit deeper into themselves. And by doing that, the best way to do it is like social proof. So I get 100 men, all from different walks of life, answering 20 questions, then we use those questions to create statistics and whatnot to say, hey, this is how they did it, this is what you could do. 
And that was really what it was, just as like social proof to help other people who are at the brink of change now. Interesting. That's crazy that it just kind of like came to you all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I've got to like learn what to do and what not to do with those things that come to me at times. But, um, you know, what one thing I pay attention to is like what flows and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm getting better at paying attention to it, let's be honest. Uh, but if there's like too much resistance to something or it's taking a lot of energy and time, maybe it's not the right time for it. This literally was like two weeks and I had my first like 15 episodes done or something. It was just so easy and man, I'm at 70, I've 71 episodes now, you know, and it's like, that's just so much information. And we'll talk about like a couple of the main things that I can pull out from what I've already done so far, but what I'm seeing with it is phenomenal anyway. That's crazy. Like you're already three quarters of the way. I just, um, I think I just finished my 20th interview, so I'm still, you know, pretty new in the game, but I had a very similar experience where I know I wanted to do a podcast. I know I wanted to get back into interviewing. I used to be a journalist about 10 years ago and I kind of gave it up. So like you said, I was kind of um, going against the grain for a while, fighting for just women's voices to be heard, um, to have a seat at the table. Then I think everything moved around to just, you know, make your own table, get your own chair, like do everything by yourself. And then as great as that was for a period of time, then it's just a bunch of isolated people in their own tables with their own chairs. There's no community aspect of it anymore. And now you don't get to learn about what the other people are doing at their table with their chairs. There's no getting to understand the other person. So how much do you learn about yourself while, or in comparison to how much do you learn about other men when you're in this this interaction? a good question amanda that's a really good question i get a lot of messages from a lot of the men afterwards saying wow i just figured out like so much stuff came up for me in that and i realized so much more like probably over 50 percent of the men yeah about 50 percent of the men and i've actually had one episode where one guy said don't air it one of my he was a friend really? of mine yeah he said don't air it because i don't think i'm in integrity to put that out there and i don't and i think i wasn't being my true authentic self and i would hate to be like a misled guide for other men and i'm like dude that's incredible awareness uh, and that first of all what integrity that man has and he is actually a really really beautiful man and so that was one of the a couple of instances uh, where people have actually learned a lot more about themselves. Me, I'm always learning about myself. And what one thing that I always do is I just like observe the subtle judgments that might arise when I'm interviewing and they're talking about a perspective that they have, a belief system that I have. I had one today and I'm just like, I'm. and one of the, the, the things that I think is really empowering for people to do and that I've been doing consistently over the last, consistently probably like 10 months trying to, be real with that yeah about eight ten months is seeing myself in the in in the other person and so noticing pulling back that projection and like reclaiming my judgment because i know that that's something being expressed in me that i can't see yet so when that comes up in every interview i'm always looking at like today it came up today and i'm just like okay like let's look at where this is in me i can't switch that off like it's like a programmed mindset now where i have to always take and i think that's so empowering and i think it can 
do a lot of make a lot of like empowering change in this world if we can start to reclaim our projections psychological projections it will change everything because you stop blaming criticizing um, and forcing opinions onto others and judging that, that judgment on others especially criticism man like I'm also a, like you know a coach so I can see a lot of people who uh, I, 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 a lot of people work with me and they've been criticized or bullied growing up and that takes a lot of toll on their self-love their ability to love themselves and believe in themselves and so yeah if I can reclaim and a lot of my judgments aren't really heavy on and I never really verbalize them so it's it's always I think it's really empowering for me to shift because I'm all about changing and growing and I think that's the only real thing that we're here to do is just evolve and grow and learn and that comes from challenges and adversity mainly and so if I can if I can constantly look into myself and 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 through these episodes and every time I see these judgments roll in I'll just be like take a good look hard look at myself you know mm-hmm. that's crazy I I have the same feeling but I think Mine is different where I I used to just shut guys down all the time. Like I didn't want to have this podcast. I didn't want to interview a hundred men. Didn't want to give them back their voices that I fought so hard to have my own. And here I am voluntarily involving them in my own platform and my own work until I realized, you know what, that's actually going to help the situation. And I know that you explain a little bit more about the Woke Man series on combating the crisis i guess that we have of toxic masculinity that's happening throughout the world and i think that whatever people think of toxic anybody and toxic humans in general they're just on the opposite side of the spectrum and you know it depends how close you are to that side of the spectrum but these are the people that hurt the most because they're probably the ones that are hurting the most Mm. and the way that I think about it is I didn't want to help them at all. I wanted to stay very far away from them. And a lot of the men that I would interview, you know, ideally don't relate themselves to toxic men. And all they usually say is, well, I just avoid those. I don't have those, those types of guys in my circle. I just make sure to, you know, keep the right people around me. But I think it's very different from a woman's perspective because you can't just isolate those men. You know, they are our parents. They are, you know, yeah. people that we work with, there are, there are narcissistic, you know, partners, maybe, you know, that we actually want to help them, we want to get them to become better men. So what would your advice be after interviewing all these men that have found their self awareness versus the ones that might be a little bit further away from that kind of awareness? Yeah, so I guess, um, so for the people that, I guess the question is, how do I, how, how do we, what advice can I give for those people who don't really have a deeper level of self-awareness yet? Is that right? Mm-hmm. And like, do they want to, you know, I, I don't know if this is what, this is the trend that I've noticed that a lot of guys were like, oh, I don't need help. You know, I'm fine. You know, I'm going to live life. I'm going to live, live the dream until there's a moment where that dream bursts for them. Or they're just like, you know what, this isn't enough for me. I don't want the dream anymore. I want reality. Like, what is it? What is that breaking point that you've noticed, if you have noticed? That's a good point. Uh, so, yeah, for sure. And, you know, my opinions have changed over the time. And I think mainly, you know, yeah, it could be during this Woke Man series that has changed and maybe just my own spiritual journey and awakening, you know. Uh, but I don't want to force anyone to change. And I did that with when I became vegan. 
I was vegan for three years and I'm just reversing out of it now and I'm about to do a podcast on that uh, probably today. But because I was the, the, you know, it's the savior, the preacher. I'm like, come on, guys, like this is the one and only way. Um, and you can just take any label and, and stick it onto the same approach. You know, everyone does it. It's like because they've found the path that works for them. It's not necessarily good or bad, but I think people don't really have a strong sense of discernment, which is the ability to judge well for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that comes, that discernment comes because you don't really know who you are. Um, but people aren't meant to know who they are until they're meant to. And what I mean by that is like you, you generally, once you, you keep hitting the wall enough, you're going to want to say, how do I get past this wall? And so when people are really willing to stop hitting that hard wall in their life, whatever that might, might be, is like the same partner over and over again, the, the waking up shitty for their job every day, um, constantly like waking up on the weekends after two-day benders, like whatever wall that is for them, when they're ready to walk, past, climb over it or knock it down, they will and they will find the Wokeman series and they will find your podcast. They will find whoever they need to find. But um, that's why it's so powerful, I think, is we just like put it out there and, and it's amazing who finds it. And, you know, we call that synchronicity, right? Like the universe is, is supplying stuff to people that, who are ready to see it. Because you're naturally like not going to want to be seeing it or you might see it and you go, that just makes no sense to me. You know, you might hear a podcast and be like, someone who's ready to change will hear this podcast and go, wow, that really resonated. Someone who's not ready to see this podcast is they're crazy. I don't know what the hell they're talking about that I would hate to live like that. Um, and I've been there for both. You know, I remember hearing the reading, first picking up the book from Eckhart Tolle, like The Power of Now. My ex girlfriend at the time was reading it, and I'm like, that makes no sense to me. And I was going through, like, you know, starting on the spiritual path, starting to get into meditation and stuff. Well, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand what he's saying. That's like literally the hardest thing to read. And a year later, I read it and I was like, wow, groundbreaking material. And it's just, I was attuned and I was ready to receive it. So for anyone who's out there now listening, uh, who, you know, is hitting the wall over and over and over again, then maybe it's time. You know, I literally ask what else is out there for me? And then the world just opened up and expanded and my life changed. So it's like asking that question and then waiting to see what comes into your field. But the greatest gift I think that we can all have is that level, a deeper level of self-awareness for personal change, whatever that is. Uh, we really want to live a fulfilling and empowering life. It's not going to be outside of ourselves. Yes, they help. They do. They really do. They actually, you know, like having a nice comfy bed in a nice safe house is actually good. Like it's easy for people on the spiritual path to like really say the material world's bad. But I'm like the material world's bad when you're living on a shitty bed. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not bad. It's okay. We're here for a human experience. We're here for a material experience. But it's like how do we interact with those materials? So a lot of us are abusing them or relying on them to make us happy. But if we can literally be happy with nothing, then everything else is a bonus. Mm-hmm. right? Everything else on top of that is just going to help us climb and climb and climb for deeper levels of fulfillment and joy you know, and to, to stand on top of the mountain. So my thing is for anyone out there who is on the cusp of change, is start something to help build you start a practice to help build your self awareness. That might be a meditation practice. That that was what it was for me. Um, that might be like, 
you know, guided meditations, whatever, that might be something like drawing or art or creativity. It might even be just to go to a workshop or two that interests you outside of what you've already done and then meet some new people that introduce you to some stuff. But mindfulness is like really what that's doing is building self-awareness to to know what's triggering you, to what you love. Because when you know what's triggering you, you know where to heal. And if you know what you love, you know where your purpose lies. So it's really important to figure out these things. And that creates what I said before. It's like that level of discernment. Yeah. I think when I went through my own self-awareness journey, I tried practicing gratitude as one of the first things that you know people tell you to do. And I started off by just naming really small pieces of gratitude, like, oh, I'm grateful for having great hair or, you know, just like any kind of little thing. And this angry voice yelled back at me saying, that's a stupid gratitude. Try again. You know, and it was it was so critical of me. And I, I scared myself away, basically, from that. And I see a lot of fear now, especially now that I'm doing this podcast of men afraid to be honest with me even though this podcast is anonymous and there's no judgment, you know, we're having an open conversation. You can talk about whatever you want. You can pass if you don't want to answer the question. I've noticed that there's been a need for them to answer the question in a way that they think that I will be happy to receive in that sense. And, you know, you just said about your friend earlier who didn't want to run it because he thought that he was being inauthentic in his responses. Why do you think it is a natural inclination to, appease the other person that you're speaking to which actually might not be genuine and kind of you know not really lying but you might just kind of not really explain the truth full-on at the, at the gate mm, yes yeah, so <laughs> you ask really good questions i like your questions and you're a really good um interviewer i love it thank you oh yeah this is a good one like this is such a good topic because that's around this now we're getting into like wounds and ego and and really like thing we're taking things personally to be honest the two things that i would say is because of your shadow and your inner child wounds because that's where everything hurts it's the the ego hurts from that place um the ego is protecting that it's it's the sacred protector of your of your wounds and so you know and not only that we're also conditioned heavily to be a certain way and that's just the way it's been like we got to get over that that's just the way it's been but we've got to ask ourselves is that serving us going forward so you know, you got this behavior around um, telling fibs, you know, or like being macho and being like, yeah, I'm tough, I got this. But we know that people that can put on a face, put on a mask to look good can end up going back to their room and, and, and committing suicide. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a fact. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned, I've seen quite a few stories and listened to quite a few stories on the Wokeman series around that. Uh, but honestly, I think it's because well, if we look at the two biggest emotions is fear, anger in men that I'm finding in this series. But then shame is tightly tucked in behind that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a lot of our anger is probably more towards resentment and rage of something that's happened in our past. And then that shame is like hiding underneath the the framework of traditional masculinity. When we're trying to be ourselves, it's really hard to break free of that framework of traditional masculinity, but also to be open and vulnerable and real because of the judgments out there. You know, fear is being one of the biggest emotions. We're scared of what other people think of us. We're scared of what might happen because of this. I think it's really rooted in this traditional masculine culture. One of my questions that I ask in this in this series is, you know, whose love did you crave most was and, and who did you have to be to get it? 
And so it's always interesting to hear that because it's, you can, it's very rarely a sibling, but that, that happens, but it's mostly mum or dad. And, we, and they talk about, you know, why that was. Uh, if we go to our inner child, we're looking at, you know, what generational stuff was passed down from our parents. And were we not loved? Were we not seen? Did we have to be a certain way? Did we have to be tough? And did we have to try and like do all the things at sport even though we wanted to do art? That was a real case too on one of mine. You know, um, Fee Mulhall, who was number 44 or something, but he he was Irish and, you know, they're big heavy drinkers over there. They're very religious. And uh, he was gay from the very get-go. He was gay. And he had to pretend not to be. And he had the, to the point where he was like moved away. He had a good close relationship with his parents, but his parents always knew he was gay when he came out. He said, oh, yeah, we knew. But no one decided to have that open conversation about it, and he had to live with that shame for so long. And he ended up moving to Perth and to the point where he just couldn't get a break in his life, and he was sitting there ready to, like, he, he had, like, basically a setup to commit suicide, and he was just there, and he had to make one phone call before he did it and that phone call ended up saving his life but we're, we're dealing with buried treasure in there that we need to dig up we need to dig up and see it for what it is look at its beauty but then also realize that what's been conditioned in us this framework this bloodline that we've got this masculine bloodline that we've got is like becoming slowly expired and so i think we we you know that is why that is the foundational reasons why uh, we are pretending to be someone we're not. Do you believe that your fear can extend past your life? Because right now you're saying that our fear is coming from, you know, the want to be accepted by either mom or dad or sibling or someone close to us that we want that love that we're craving for. Do you think it's past that? Do you think it's like multiple generations long ingrained in that concept of masculinity that puts you in a whole community of everyone should be working together. We live in a society, you know, those more cultural and social specific norms that you're literally born into regardless of family. How much of it is you and your family and your bubble versus the global space that you're in? Yeah, that's such a good one. Well, there's a book called It Didn't Start With You, and that's about intergenerational trauma and how it can go back up to seven generations. So if we think about that, and that's where epigenetics comes in because for those who haven't listened or followed epigenetics, Dr. Bruce Lipton wrote a book called The Biology of Belief. Epigenetics talks about the ability for your genes to switch on and off based on your environment, and your environment is like your lifestyle choices, the people you hang around, the choices that you make in life. And what they're also finding is that one of your genes, say, that is like more emotionally sensitive and maybe is like more susceptible to anger can be switched on way back when you know your grandfather great-great-grandfather was active before the war or something Mm. and when we heal that we can switch it off we can change when we work on that when we go and do hypnosis when we go and do therapy when we go and do breath work when we go and do meditation with we're, we're learning and journaling and reflection we're going to switch off these genes that were no longer needed and that's and that's where it stops with us so fears poof, i don't know which genes it, it's tied to but yes i 
uh, from what we what we can see is the books that we can read and the people that we can learn from. Yeah, it's it's starting to be shown now in science, which is good. I want to get into the idea of shame. So where does the shame come from and how much of it is tied to a man's sexuality? Because I think that's a very vulnerable space. I think women get the chance to experience that um, being in relationships with men, but I don't think men get that moment to talk about that vulnerability with each other, you know, as, oh, a, yeah. as a gender. Yeah, and, and I'll just be clear, I haven't done any extensive research on shame outside of what I've just discovered in this series. So shame and men, wow. Like, you know, I'm looking at the stats here. Shame's like, well, fear and anger are the, because one of my questions is what emotion challenged you most? And fear and anger are tied so far, okay? Anxiety is second. But many could argue that anxiety is just fear, right? It's the feeling of fear deep down. So, you know, I think fear really stands out for a lot of men. And then if you were to look at that next one coming in is shame. There's a lot of shame in men. And a lot of the times it did come up in the podcast around shame and sexuality. So, you know, what are we scared of? Again, traditional masculine framework is like, the some of the core beliefs one of them is like don't be gay or homophobia you know the the fear of homophobia and that's just a paradigm that came down from the roman catholics if we really go back far enough like you know the the churches um forbid it forbade it or whatever you say but society is realizing that it's okay as long as you love and the reason we have so much shame and it's starting to be more openly expressed now is because we have these thoughts and we have these feelings, but they're not publicly known. And so that feeling in the body is like, shit, if anyone finds out, I'm going to be crucified. Just like Jesus was on the cross, you know, I'm going to be ashamed, I'm going to be embarrassed. And for men, no way, because you're tough, you're on the top, you're the man, you like, you're popular, you do all the things, they're the things that we aim for. And I think, to be honest, like that needs to be expressed in, in men as well as, mu- as much as the openness, the emotional openness and vulnerability does as well. I think we have this innate nature to express both, but we've just blocked one off. And that's where we, when we're out of harmony is when we're out of flow. And that means we're, we're skewed one way more than the other. So shame is, I think, mainly tied around sexuality and a lot of, and some past actions. But this is where we go into like shadow projection. And a lot of the stuff comes up when you can see a lot of people when they uh, ex- openly express and bag out someone else, like tease someone else. They'll be like, oh, he's so gay. Oh, look what he's wearing. Because mm-hmm. we are hiding that deep in our shadow. It's, it's you know, Carl Jung's shadow projection work and theories. It, it, it stands so true and I can see it so clearly with a lot of men. Um, is, and just even having conversations with some of my older friends and some of my family members you know where they come from it's because it's deep hiding within them and, and they just don't want to be openly openly expressive because it's embarrassing but one of the things that i've had to work through personally is a lot of like shame around sexuality and the greatest thing you could ever do is have a conversation about it the first moment and find someone safe don't just be on like instagram stories and be like yo i've got to be open about this <laughs> um unless you want to do that but like I had an open conversation with my girlfriend and we both expressed parts of us that we're both shameful about. We're just going out for dinner and it just came up um, an hour after dinner and we were like free after that. 
And uh, a question I ask people is, uh, would there be anything you want to take to the grave with you? You know, the thought of bringing this up uh, makes you feel like ashamed and nervous. And so many people write yes. And then when someone says no, I'm like, bullshit. I'm like, bullshit. Like, you've got something in there. Me? Yeah, there was. Uh, not anymore. I've let it out. So that moment, because we look at the, the scale of consciousness by Dr. David Hawkins, um, the psychiatrist who, built, who measured the uh, vibration of emotions, shame was the lowest vibrational emotion. It was like rated, it was not, not a, um, was a logarithmic scale. It was just a, a, just a number scale that represented a vibration, but it was 20. So if you look at 20 and then enlightenment was the highest, which was a thousand and 20 was the lowest vibration. So when you're carrying that, he can see that there's a very low vibrational um, movement in the body through kinesiology and that's how he tested it. And that's shame. And then the next one was grief. And so when we've got these two, especially shame in us, we're running at a low frequency. Now, we are just vibrational beings. That's all we are. We're just energy and motion. And we know that thanks to quantum physics over the last 100 years. And so if we're just vibrational beings and we're running a low frequency, what's that going to do with our energy? What's that going to do with the way we show up in the world? It significantly impacts us. So... I think for people listening now and, and anyone who's maybe going, geez, I, I've got some stuff to take to the grave or, you know, there's definitely a few things that I'm embarrassed about. Just think about this. You, your shame right now, someone actually accepts it. There's a lot of people that are around you right now that don't and that's why you're holding on to it. Just find someone who accepts it and is able to see you for you because, you know, there's a, um, I spoke with one lady who uh, had an affair, okay? She had an affair uh She's ashamed about it. She hadn't let it go. I said, yeah, but think about this in the polyamorous community. That would be celebrated. That's celebrated. That action is celebrated because it's openness. It's conversation. You say, I have these sexual desires. I'm going to express them. But now in, in the traditional monogamy relationship and that community that, that, that she was in didn't accept that. So someone will accept it eventually. So you're not like if you, as long as you realize that someone does think you're okay and, you're, and you're, it's okay to be human the way you are, realize that that's a big moment for your own perspective to go oh i could actually be accepted because when we when we're, what i find is that when we we carry this shame we think no one's ever going to accept it or no one's ever going to understand how i feel but there's always the tribe for you there's always a crew out there that get you and i think that's really important is there any judgment on who approves of, of anything about you because I think, I mean, I've noticed that um, there's always like a, in any tribe, there's always like the main guy, the cool guy and his sidekick, you know? <laughs> and um, if I ever dated the main guy, I'd befriend his sidekick. And however tumultuous the relationship is with the main guy, because he's just so typical macho ego type guy, obviously, you know, we end up falling out in a pretty disastrous way, but I maintain that friendship with the sidekick. You know, and that one is the one that I now realize like this person is just okay with himself and then is okay with everyone else around him. So what is the misconception you would say with like an alpha versus beta type guy and the desire to be alpha is, is there at all? You know, like what's that dynamic like? To be honest, like if I look at that, a lot of the men that I'm interviewing... <sighs> 
yeah, all different personalities, but I'm not getting like I don't get heavy alpha. Okay. Um, and the reason I don't get heavy, I might get a little bit more like um, energetic, but I don't get real heavy alpha. And I think that is because what the way I see heavy alpha is, well, yeah, one is that alpha. I don't. I wouldn't say alpha to me is that okay with themselves, confident person. Um, but I would say overly alpha in the traditional format, the way we might see it in school and stuff, is uh, deeply one trying to be heard and seen, mm-hmm. or um, feeling very insecure about themselves, and so they'll flip it. And and just because they're they're portraying themselves as this epic person and ca- capable and confident doesn't mean that that's how they feel on the inside. So trying to measure up against that is just a false illusion, I think. I think that's interesting that you don't get that traditional alpha male type. And I'm curious to see if most of the toxic men are in that category of, like you said, wearing a mask of trying to be something that society wants them to be. And maybe they're born with that build that they then feel the need to fulfill that purpose based on just their physical appearance themselves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's always easier when I see people in the flesh and I can sort of detect it, I think anyone naturally can, they can sort of detect the, the, the bullshit coming out of them. I definitely work with, with people one-on-one that have that nature. Um, mm-hmm. But deep down you look at them and they're like, oh, they're not that at all and you can see why um, because of, you just got to tap into their personal experiences and go back to their child and to go, it's just a compensation method. And it's all serve a purpose and it's just a matter of now like what's going to work for them going forward, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. I've recently got really curious about mythology and specifically how humans and human weaknesses are portrayed mm-hmm. because, you know, Greek gods, I mean, they were just humans and they were yeah. just mythological stories that were created to have moral implications of them. But how those stories are told then shape your perspective on what's good and bad behavior. And I think that gets really dangerous because who's to decide what is good or bad behavior anymore? Mm, That's so good. Uh, So it's mythology on morality, is it? Like, Mm. wow, that's powerful. And that's it. It's like we we just like, it's like monkey see, monkey do. No one asks why. Yeah. No one questions why. You know, why, why are we doing this? So I have a question. Have you heard of the story of Cassandra? She's a Greek goddess. So basically, she's, you know, another beautiful goddess, like everyone everyone else's story. And all of the gods are giving her gifts, you know, to to have her or whatever it is. First off, the problem is even just trying to have her, right? So they're sending her all these gifts for her love. And Apollo wins by giving her the gift of prophecy to be able to foretell the future. And one night, apparently, there's two versions of the story, apparently, she doesn't give him access to her body one night, which is basically just exercising consent. You know, she just said no. And the other version of the story is it was nighttime, she was asleep, and he wanted to have sex with her, and she didn't give him access to her body, which is mm-hmm. would have been rape if, you know, in mm-hmm. normal context. So in both contexts, basically, she just said no to sex, and he punished her for that by saying, you were still going to be able to foretell the future. You're still going to have the gift of prophecy. But no one is going to believe you, which is gaslighting 101. Mm -hmm. And she goes through this tumultuous fall of her life, you know, the fall of Troy. She's the one that prophesizes the 
what is that, that horse, you know, at, at the door. Yeah. And, um, she goes so far to even knock on it, you know, and again, people just don't believe in it. So, you know, obviously there's a fall of Troy, everyone around her dies, you know, she gets raped and killed and like all this horrible, horrible punishment for saying no to a man uh, based on his sexual advances. And I'm curious in terms of the interviews you've had or just the people that you've encountered, how much does that matter to get that acceptance from a woman? Like how, how much does rejection affect a man? Well, you know, what you're talking about is so beautiful. And I wonder to see who actually, who has used that myth to live a life now, you know, like who would take those teachings on and live that, you know, maybe that was a prophecy in itself of like how human nature would end up. Maybe it was more like the Bible and parables of like this is how they'll end up to navigate their way through life by understanding this because this is what the humans are going to do. But if you look at rejection and that is almost like the that and well, I'd say rejection probably leads a lot to suppression of their own feelings and almost like but vice versa too, longing for it, longing for what they haven't been able to get and that pursuit of it and that striving and so i see a lot of men and just in coaching as well it's like if you don't get that love from your mom you're going after it and the next woman and the next woman the next woman or you've just got this a, a crazy desire and attachment to want to be with multiple women i've had that in my life where it's like i can switch on my charm whenever i need to you know it's like it's there and i and i had a sort of pattern of behavior in me where i would switch it on when i needed to when i wanted attention from women um and I think that shows when there's a specific relationship with their mother. And that's what, at least what I've observed in this series. But it's not something that I've like diligently looked at. But I'm just thinking of a couple of cases that's just jumped up. It's like, yeah, because, you know, who do you have to be? If, whose love did you crave most? And then who do you have to, who did you have to be to get that? And, and those responses when they say their mom is just like, you can see it. You can see the fact that the absence of that... Um, nurturing love from their mom has led to their actions today and so my question is back to that is like is really just having that lack of nurturing in general in society mm -hmm. is that led them to uh, wanting to behave the way they do with women and saying those things like in that myth you know what I mean you know, I think that's interesting that you said it's more that lack of that nurturing love that makes them have to go out and seek that love in other women, you know, through romantic relationships. And you said, what kind of man do you have to be in order to get her love? And mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys really think about how much you punish a woman when you don't get that love, because you have to turn into something else, right? You have to be this other human that you thought she wanted you to be. And then you get rejected and you're like, well, why did I even go through all that work? So now I'm going to just mess you up. You know what I mean? And I think no one realizes the vindictiveness to that because um, so before I started coaching, I used to be working behind the bar. Mm -hmm. And anytime I did not flirt back to somebody that wanted me to or wanted my attention in a more romantic way, I would get bad reviews or I would get less tips or I get some type of punishment because of the fact that I didn't reciprocate mm -hmm. the emotions that they were giving me, or I didn't, you know, appreciate the effort or whatever. I mean, I think that goes all the time with like 
you know, a guy saying, Hey, like, how come you didn't appreciate my compliment? And it's like, well, stranger danger is more like, that's all I'm thinking about. And it's funny now that you say that, like, you must put a lot of effort into being someone else, right? Because it's not you. And so many little boys out there acting as men, you know, like I've got to put my hand up too. There's there's still moments where I'm, I've definitely got room to work and I can see the pattern. But, you know, there's two qualities that I've noticed that are really dominant in each man that I've interviewed. And that's uh, one, radical responsibility and two, emotional openness. And that radical responsibility means like, what what can I do about it right now? Like, what can I do about myself right now? Not blame, not project, not excuse, not criticize, not judge anyone else. What can I do about this situation right now? And a lot of little boys out there are running around saying, oh, she didn't notice me, she didn't do that, like you didn't accept my compliment, um, you didn't do this for me, you didn't do that for me, you're not doing that so well. We're just complaining and whinging and it's like deep down because we're still little boys and we're trying to fill big shoes that were never really meant to be filled because they're like the shoes were made in 1700 and they're not relevant for today and so now we're slotting into shoes that just don't look nice today and that's as simple as that. So, you know, look at those qualities, those two qualities for any man out there listening right now. Go get some radical responsibility. Stop blaming others. Stop having excuses. Stop judging people. Take responsibility for where you're at, what you're feeling, what's happening in your life, and what can you do about it. And then also accept that emotional openness is okay. And that just means you accept people expressing their emotions and you're able to do it. You're able to be okay with your emotions. That's a real man. That's a real man is to be able to just have a good conversation. And that's what women want. Mm -hmm. That's all they want. You know, and so we're looking in the wrong, I think we're looking in the wrong aisle for the products that we need. Absolutely. I want to wrap up with two more questions. What would you say are the key differences in communicating with another man about all of this, you know, about self-awareness, about self-improvement, about vulnerabilities and speaking to a woman about it? Do you change the way you speak Mm. about it? What else goes through your head? Are there things that are just left unsaid between two men? Yeah. So, like, have you got an example of things that you would talk about? So, I think talking about ego, talking about fear. um, Mm. When we talk about sex, a lot of the times, one of the main questions I ask is, how important is it to get the girl? You know, is is it a mission for you versus you know, do you just want to be liked back? Like, what is, what is it? And I think um, it's tough to just tell me honestly what your true intentions are. And one of the biggest questions was if you're going to be dating someone, just like meeting someone fresh off the bar, like first time meeting them, how would you express your intentions right off the start (laughs) instead of, you know, kind of saying something nice, softly getting in there, kind of either playing the friend card, you know, start with a compliment or you're going to be super aggressive. Like which, which person are you going to be today? And why do you have to have a line? Why do you have to have a thing? I would prefer if you would just show up and say, Hey, I want this type of relationship with you. It's so true. I've been the guy that like just goes and do you know what I think? Like, so interesting story about, I mean, this is what happened in my, my life. Like, 2018 I think I was still doing this that's not that long ago 
I was in New York for my friend's Bucks party. I was in the States for my friend's Bucks party and wedding. This was probably my last monumental moment with my my oldest group of friends because I was shifting already. I'd you know been six months, eight months vegan. I'm like going down more of a spiritual path, but I'm like, this is my last hoorah. That's what I considered it. And um, the two weeks that we spent together there, I had to end up having a week away by myself up in Portland and I just chilled out and hung out with some friends up there. But that trip when I got really wasted and was like, you know, still doing, it was my last big like drug journey. And I was the guy that was known for picking out women and it was like, he's just really good at it. But if I am really honest about it, I was just authentic and genuine and I was one of the guys and I think because I'd already started to open up I was the guy that was able to say things that were actually true and I honestly think that is a superpower is to be really real and authentic and I would actually feel it because energy speaks louder than words anyway you can Mm -hmm. tell a sleaze from a sleaze a mile away and honestly I think that was the only reason behind that it's not always been like that before that, it was definitely not. But I think what you just said was incredible. You need to be real and honest and stop putting on a mask to say, I'm this guy, I'm that guy. Eventually, they're going to find out the truth. And that's when you go through the honeymoon period. After that, you end up start having arguments because the truth comes out. So just be real from the start. If they don't like it, they're not going to take a bar of it in the future anyway because eventually it's going to come out. So you might as well just say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I want. Um, but obviously, you're not going to say, hey, look, I think you and I are potential to be married one day on the first meeting. You're just going to say, I find you really attractive. And there's something about you that I can't, like, I just can't stop looking at you from across the room. Like, if that's how you exactly feel, say it. And what's the worst case scenario? If you says, oh, I've got a boyfriend. That's the worst. Actually, worst case scenario would be the, the boyfriend's with you. <laughs> I think the more honest you are with yourself and the more authentic you are, with yourself, the more you will receive that. Mm -hmm. And I think recently a lot of my encounters with men have become more honest and I will have men come over to me and say, Hey, like, I think you're really attractive, but I don't have any romantic feelings for you. I don't see a future with you. I don't really like you like that or connect with you in that way, but I do have a physical connection with you. Is that okay? And then that allows me to, to decide. And whenever I would tell this to my friends, they would say, oh my God, how could he say that to you? That's so mean. Or they would say, oh my God, I don't think I would know how to receive that. And I was like, well, there's nothing personal. I'd prefer to know that because that's a very different intention to someone saying, oh, I'm interested in you. There's something about you that I want to learn more about. And that's, that's genuine interest in me. And I just want to know like, to what detail is it interest in my body or in my mind? And Mm -hmm. I think, unfortunately, society makes us want to lump them together, create this whole Hollywood honeymoon situation. And then we're just stuck again in the dark and confused. And I think that's when the fear comes in because we don't know if they like us back. And that Mm -hmm. just gives you a whirlwind of emotions. Totally. And that's also a very unique approach from your end. Like, not too many girls would think like that. Um, you know, like a men coming up to you first. The first of all, you've got to have men that actually come up and want to do that. And the second of all, you've got to have a, a lady who's willing to be able to receive that 
because yeah. a lot of us would take that personally. Like you say, like a lot of your friends are like, how would you say that? The second question is out of all of the interviews that you've done and talking to me recently, what gaps in your understanding of masculinity and a self-aware man would you be more curious to learn more about that I can hopefully find more men to elaborate on in my show? Mm, that's a good one. I mean, there's some there's stuff around like the friend group. So one of my questions is around the friend group and how that's changed. Like we didn't really elaborate. I didn't elaborate that on that too much. And the reason I talk about that is because it's a common thing that everyone says is like, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're shifting away from friends. I think for men, it's really important to understand because of that loneliness factor that they're not alone on this. And do you know what the bridge would be? It'd actually be to accept their old self and that and all the past pieces of that old self, you know, the friends, the family and all that sort of, accept that as being okay. And because what you can do is you can sort of say, as I'm shifting to this new friend group, I've got to change my environment. I've got to get away from those toxic people. And why I do agree with that, because that's like the basis of epigenetics, right? As your environment determines who you are, changes your, the influences your cells, your biology. It's really important to not judge where you just came from and not judge the people that are still in there. And uh, yes, you might go and get new friends and you might go and get uh new relationship new job and all that but don't go and judge it and shame all where you just came from because those people are still hurt and those people still need and so i do use the word toxic i I still do but i'm wondering if there is a better way to approach it and i haven't found that way yet but i would say like because when we say it's toxic it means you know like don't come near me and and that means you're disgusting, you're bad. And the same way as why I'm reversing out of veganism is because of that shame that can be so easily portrayed onto everyone else who's not that way. And so it's just dogma, just dressed differently. Yeah, I've got a noble and, and um, altruistic path and that's awesome. But deep down, I'm just projecting shame, which is a very low frequency onto others. And, and that's not how I want to live. So you know, what that, another word for toxic, you know, really the opposite of that is just acceptance and understanding Mm -hmm. that they are who they are because they've had their experiences and that you were there too and just to accept that. So I'd say that's a really big bridge. Yeah, like just you can't just move on to your new life without bringing the rest of you along, right? Because otherwise it'll still come up in other ways or shapes or forms, right? Well, thank you for this chat. It's been amazing. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Uh, I think the best thing is like Instagram probably. I mean, I spend a lot of time on TikTok these days. Nice. Um, yeah, Instagram, TikTok, or you can email me at feelalive, com. It's all about the alive feeling, you know, um, and that'd be pretty much it, I think. Yeah. Awesome. That's all I got for you today. Make sure to check out the Wokeman series. He's about three quarters of the way on his case study and I'm slowly catching up. I'm honestly so honored to have found Luca and to be able to share his project with you. So let me know what your thoughts are and if there's any topics we might have missed out on that you think would really make an impact. And as always, make sure to subscribe and I'll see you next Wednesday with some more interviews for the 100 Masked Men. Bye for now.